Does Seoul have Seoul? Find out in this episode of Tips for Travellers. I'm Gary Bembridge and this is Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. Each month a new destination is featured with recommendation, advice and tips based on the first-hand travel experience I gain from the two to three times a month I travel all over the world. You may also want to check out the Tips for Travellers video podcast, a sister podcast which features videos I've made of hotel rooms or attractions with commentary and recommendations linked to the destination featured each month in this audio podcast. To find out more, visit tipsfortravellers.com. For travellers is spelt with two L's, the UK way, or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.co.uk. You can subscribe to one or both of the podcasts by searching for Tips for Travellers or Gary Bembridge on iTunes or your favourite podcast directory. Overall, I found Seoul reminded me a great deal of Taipei. Not necessarily from a look perspective, but from an overall feeling and attitude. I wondered if this has anything to do with the many parallels in the ongoing tensions and uncertainty they both face every day due to their traumatic histories. Seoul is in South Korea and not that far, about 30 miles, from the demilitarized zone border with North Korea. And since the terrible war that took place back in the 1950s, there has been, and they continue to have, a tense and very fraught existence. The North Koreans are viewed with great unease. Every male in South Korea undergoes some form of national service. And even to this day, my colleagues in Seoul told me that if the North Korean Air Force takes off, then so do the South Korean planes. In Seoul, they have air raid attack drills, as due to this proximity to the border, it can be minutes rather than hours from the time a fighter plane takes off in the north to the time it arrives in Seoul. I even learned that on top of the fairly ordinary, but fairly tall, building that our company offices are situated in, even that has air defence guns on the roof. So although I'm, I'm not sure how threatened people really feel every day, there is this underlying sense of threat that must affect the overall nature of Seoul. It's not an especially attractive city, but neither is it unattractive. In reality, the city only became the capital of South Korea in 1948 and was built up in the 1960s and beyond after a lot of damage through the Korean War. This period of the last decade does not really seem to have left a very exciting legacy, no matter what country and what city of the world one looks at. The kind of the 50s, 60s and 70s were not really renowned for their beautiful architecture. Now, some of the books I read before going to Seoul claim that Seoul has one of the highest proportions of skyscrapers in Asia. But if it does, they certainly seem to keep them well hidden. It is, though, a very densely populated city and ranks up there with the Tokyo and those kinds of cities. There are a lot of people packed into the city and surroundings. It's surrounded by, I think it's eight hills, that may have made the intensity even greater as there are natural boundaries to where the city can sprawl to. 
There are over 10 million people living in Seoul, which is about 25%, a quarter, of the total population of South Korea. The Greater Seoul area, though, has a staggering 23 million people, making it the second most populated metropolis after Tokyo. Now, although there are a lot of people, and it's supposed to be one of the most densely populated cities in the world, it did not feel quite as crowded and frantic as other big Asian, or for that matter, any crowded city. And although the traffic can be bad, it seems there is a very good public transport system that keeps things running smoothly. However, despite reported attempts to improve air quality, the city is very smoggy. I was staying up on one of the hills at the Grand Hyatt overlooking the city and Hang Ang River that splits the city. But you could never see right across the city due to kind of smoggy conditions. Though the air itself did not seem that smoggy as you walked around the city. It's not as cosmopolitan a city, unlike places like Hong Kong or Singapore or even Shanghai feels, as nearly all the residents are Korean, with a very small Chinese and very small Japanese community. It's it's surprisingly not very diverse considering the size of its population, and this is probably due to the history and a sense of constant threat, which doesn't really make a good magnet for other nationalities to want to move and kind of set up home or business there. Now, in addition, probably for similar reasons, Seoul is also not really on the Asian tourist circuit, and so it's not that great for tourists unless you have a real interest in the more recent history of South Korea. The government is trying to promote and develop more of a tourist trade, launching and promoting websites like visitseoul.net. However, there is not really the spread of sites and things to do that will capture tourists for that long. Colleagues who are not into history had built in a couple of days before our meetings, which was the reason I was there, and they actually found that after less than a day, even on an organized tour, they had kind of seen what was on offer, and admittedly, though they did not explore places in depth, they had not explored the museums and historic buildings in depth, they had just visited them, but they are not fundamentally interested in history, and I think that was part of the issue. So unless you're very interested in South Korean history, there's probably limited things for a tourist to do. Now for me, however, visiting the recently opened, it opened sometime this century, Korean War Memorial and Museum was one of the most fascinating and the most impressive days I have spent. But more about this later. It's not only a beautiful memorial, it's really a set of memorials really and museum but it's just really fantastic. So, let's take a look at my tips for travellers visiting Seoul in South Korea. My first tip is about the best time to go. The tourist office for Seoul recommends autumn as the best time to visit. Now this is because the heavy rains during the summer months of July and August have passed. Now this is how they describe the city in autumn. 
What they say is, of Korea's four seasons, the autumn is by far the most spectacular. It is as if the entire country becomes a riot of colour, from the high, cloudless, deep blue skies to the mountainsides blazing in red and yellow. Even Seoul, re-energised as the brisk fall weather wakes the city out of its late summer malaise, becomes a showcase of natural delight as its sidewalks and avenues turn golden yellow with the leaves of the ubiquitous ginkgo tree. So autumn is supposedly the best time to visit. Now in summer, Seoul can be very hot and very humid due to the rain with the monsoons at this time. I was there in July and I can confirm this. Although there is a lot happening in summer around the riverbanks and so there can be a lot of buzz in the city. But it's not a great time to visit because of the heat, the humidity, the rain. But saying this, no matter what time of the year you go, one tip is not to plan to stay in Seoul too long, as there's, as I mentioned in the opening, not a lot for tourists to do. My second tip is about getting there and around once there. There is a major and very modern airport in the nearby town of Incheon, I-N-C-H-E-O-N. It's about an hour from central Seoul. Now, this is the international airport. There is the Gimpo airport nearer to town, which is primarily a domestic terminal. Seoul seems very well served by regional airlines like Singapore Air and the Japanese airlines in particular. And Korea has Korean Air and Asiana Air based in Seoul. So getting in and out, there's quite a few options. Now, there is a modern subway system that is very heavily used, about 8 million passengers a day, as well as a lot of buses. They all seem very efficient and very well coordinated. There also seems to be loads of taxis everywhere you go. And taxis are fairly inexpensive and probably the best way to get around. Taxi drivers generally, as is true in most cities, which are not very big tourist stops, did not speak English terribly well or at all. And so it's a good idea to get the hotel concierge to give you the name of where you want to go in Korean and the name of your hotel as well. Now, on the sides of the taxis, there is also a number that you can dial if you need some translation done. So that's quite a good service. Now, the taxi drivers seem very good-natured and very helpful, but they did struggle with me trying to explain the Grand Hyatt Hotel, but they got me there with me directing sometimes. So it is helpful to have the names written down in, 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 in English. Now, one thing I will add is that I felt very safe in the city, and not sure if that was a function of the volume of people or the overall nature of the city and its people. The city is divided into districts, and I found with the use of the standard map you get from the hotel that it was fairly easy to find where to go. Partly, probably, because there is not a lot to see as a tourist, and so the places are easy to locate and pretty well known. My third tip is the Korean War Memorial and Museum, and you can find more on the show notes with the links to the various websites. But the website is war memo.co.kr so warmemo.co.kr now as i mentioned earlier this was for me the highlight of the trip not only because it was such a well done memorial such a well done museum but it's so extensive and informative 
but it also really helped me to understand the history and the impact of the war on the people of Korea. This is a relatively new memorial and museum, and there are actually three elements to the memorial. First, a massive set of sculptures with a set of huge spires representing the North and South Divide, and the most amazing sculptures showing people at war and the implications. Now nearby to this is another sculpture of two men on top of a mound-like building representing families torn apart between North and South. So that's the first kind of elements of the memorial and museum. The second is there are the outdoor exhibits of row upon row of planes, tanks, vehicles, missiles. These are from the Korean and to a lesser degree Vietnam War, which you can actually go inside many of the aeroplanes. Very interesting and some amazingly humongous aeroplanes there. The third element to the memorial and museum is the actual museum. It has long open halls on either side with names of people who lost their lives in the war. And then inside the museum are a series of halls, which includes the Commemoration Hall, the War History Hall, the Korean War Hall, the Foreign War Hall, and the Army History Wall. Now, I took some video clips of the memorial and the museum, which you can actually uh, get if you go to um, the the show notes, or you go to my blog at mytravelreviews.blogspot.com. My fourth tip is the North Seoul Tower. And you can find more about this, again, with the link on my show notes. But the website is nsoultower.com, nsoultower.com. Now, this is a huge tower in Namsan Park, on what is called the Namsan Mountain. Though the Namsan Mountain is probably more of a very large hill than a mountain. But here is a place to get great views of the cities. But make sure, as I mentioned earlier, you need to choose the clearest day you can and and the least smoggy kind of day. Now, the tower was first built in 1969, and it was really there a television and radio broadcasting to the Seoul area tower. It was eventually opened to public access about 10 years later in 1980. Now, recently the tower has been renovated by the people who, I guess, have a lease on it. There's a light show which is supposed to run every night from 5pm to 11pm with various colour presentations. And I kept forgetting to to take a look at it with various things on. So I I can't guarantee what it's like, but it gets very good write-ups. So that's just a light show around the tower. Now on the ground floor is, they have what they call the media zone. You can sort of relax, watch music videos, commercials, that kind of stuff. And there is also a playground where children play. It has water and sand and stuff. On the second floor, there's a Sky Cafe, and then there's the observation platform where you can get you know, a 360-degree view of the city, amazing kind of views. My fifth tip is the city bus store, the city bus store. Now, there is a website. It's quite a long, complicated website. So if you want to link to that on the show notes, uh, either by clicking on links in this podcast or going to mytravelreviews.blogspot.com and looking for the sole links. Now, I'm a fan, as regular listeners of Tips to Travellers will know, of the hop-on, hop-off type bus tours with commentary, because I feel you just get such a good sense of the city. They did start one of these in Seoul, but this seems to have been put on hold, so it's worth checking if this has started up again. I'm not sure why it was put on hold. I suspect probably it wasn't used very much. Now, there is another option that the tourist office promotes quite hard, which is called the Seoul City Bus Tour. Now, they describe it as the quickest, most convenient way for visitors to explore Seoul's tourist sites. 
for the price of a single ticket. You can get on and off the bus as many times as you like. Routes take you past Korea's royal palaces, through downtown Seoul's major tourist destinations, and to the city's nighttime attractions. That's what they, how they describe it. Now, this is, this is fine. It's very convenient. It runs every 30 minutes. But you then need to have read up and have a guidebook so you know what you're seeing and what stop to get off and what to do at each stop. But it is an efficient and cheap way of getting to the sites, and you can buy tickets at hotels or, in fact, even the airport when you arrive. So that's the city bus tour. My sixth tip is what also the tourist office bills, and actually found it on the um, Visit Seoul site, is the One Day Cultural Tour. The One Day Cultural Tour. And again, it has a fairly complicated website, so you can find the links on my show notes. And I was looking at things to do when one had limited time. And on the visitsoul.net site, as I mentioned, they suggested what they call a One Day Cultural Tour, which you can actually do by yourself. And, and it's a really, it is... It is a a really good suggestion. It takes about a day and focuses on the downtown area and specifically now I'm gonna I'm gonna massacre these names. The Gyeong Bok Gong Palace, the Gyeong Bok Gong Palace, In Sedong, next one very difficult, Cheon Jeong Chong and Dio Songgung Palace. Now I apologize for massacring those names. It's the Gyeongbokgong Palace in Sedong, Cheongjongchong, and Di Diok Songjong Palace. Now, in this tour, they suggest starting at the Gyeongbokgong Palace in the morning. And this is a good, good idea. You can explore what is actually built, and I think it probably is the most magnificent of the five grand palaces of the of, of the kind of the period. Now it's a very, very large structure, and it includes um, an imperial throne room. It includes a pavilion. Now, the pavilion has 48 granite pillars and, and, it, and it stands in an artificial lotus pond, quite something. Then there's also the National Folk Museum of Korea at the rear of the palace complex, which I didn't visit. And from the palace, you get a view of Chongwadae, which is the presidential palace or presidential residence. Now, from the palace, it's, it's a relatively short walk over to Insidong, which is the largest market of traditional Korean arts and cultural stuff. And there are different alleyways that you can explore with antique stores, kind of stationery shops, framing shops, handicraft, pottery shops. So it's, it's quite interesting in Sedong. And that's probably where you, by the time you get there, it's probably a good time to have something to eat. You can then go down to the Cheongjong River. Now, this used to be covered over and has actually been opened up. And it's, it's kind of a magnet for people hanging out now, particularly in the sort of early evenings. And you can follow the stream to the Jeongsong Palace, which again is one of these five grand palaces. And Depending on what time you get there, this is where they have a changing of the guard ceremony at various times of the day, and that's worth taking a look at. So that's the one-day cultural tour. As I said, you can find the link, you can print out the details, and you can probably learn how to pronounce the names better than, than I have in this podcast. My seventh tip is the National Museum of Korea. And this is a fairly easy website to remember. It's museum.go.kr, so museum.go.kr. And again, I have links on the show notes. Now, this place is huge, absolutely huge. It's supposed to be one of the biggest museums around. It has six exhibition halls, a children's museum, museum shops, food courts, theatres. It's absolutely vast. I mean, you you would just have to go over and over again to cover everything. The permanent exhibition halls, um, they have an archaeological, historical, fine arts, Asian arts, 
and then like a donation gallery where people have donated stuff, as it says. I mean, it's absolutely vast. And one of the things that's worth doing is probably going to site, deciding one or two critical areas or things that you, you want to see. Very interesting. Very big. My eighth and final tip is the Seoul Olympic Museum. Again, an easy-to-remember site. It's seoulolympicmuseum.com, seoulolympicmuseum.com. In 1998, Seoul hosted the Olympic Games, which, like most other cities hosting them, was used to focus regeneration and development, in Seoul's case, for the south of the city. Now, the Olympic Museum is in the Olympic Park. It's a three-story building. It's fairly interesting. I mean, it's not that remarkable, but it's fairly interesting. And the first exhibit hall is the Place of Peace where you learn the origin, the history of the Olympics, the games involved. And they look at Olympic heroes and mascots of the 88 Olympics, um, and the, the mascots were called Hodiri and Hosuni. And you can watch a film at the theatre about the Olympics. And the third floor is an audio and video library, document library, and you can see kind of videos and films and other records. And in the basement, you can play kind of games, and these are kind of simulated games, weightlifting, volleyball, soccer, skiing, etc., etc., I actually suspect as time passes, the novelty and significance of the Olympics for Seoul is going to dwindle and the museum will probably fade away. Now, on my um, posting and on my show notes for this podcast, you can see links to various photographs. But just to remind you of the tips, there's a key tip about the best time to go autumn, but again, not spending too much time there. Getting, Getting there and getting around there, very modern subway system, taxis, lots of taxis, very cheap. Make sure, though that you get names of where you want to go written in Korean because English is not that great. There's a Korean War Memorial Museum, which is the highlight for me of the whole trip. The North Seoul Tower, great views. The City Bus Tour, which is a hop-on, hop-off, so you'll need a guidebook. The One Day Cultural Tour, which is great for getting around those kind of palaces and things. The National Museum of Korea and the Seoul Olympic Museum. That's my tip for travellers visiting Seoul. You've been listening to Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. A new destination with first-hand based advice, recommendations and tips is added each month. If you subscribe to the podcast, thanks for your support. If you don't, you may want to consider subscribing by searching Tips for Travellers or Gary Bembridge on iTunes or your favourite podcast directory. You can then subscribe to the Tips for Travellers Global Travel Destination audio podcast or the video podcast with hotel rooms and attractions. To find out more, visit tipsfortravellers.com. The Travellers is spelled the UK way with two L's or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.co.uk.